the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. And hello again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. Yes, I'm Jonathan Sanborn. You know, I, I have a little bit of a spring in my step. It's actually a crisp spring. It was running uh, my dog this morning. It was like 40 degrees. And like, what is this? I'm in Phoenix and it's 40. And the thing, I used to actually live in, in frozen country and other parts of the world that was like minus 40. And now I'm like 40 seems freezing. 40 above seems freezing. I don't know. I'm a big sissy. But anyways. I am love get, well, this opportunity that we have here in studio. We have our special guest is Mary Keck. Welcome, Mary. Thanks. Good to be with you. Mary Keck is the executive director of the Phoenix Refugee Connections. She's been walking in relationship with refugees, um, resettling to Arizona for 17 years. And so not just in the role, but uh, just for your life. So she's been a mentor, English partner, mom. Uh, in 2014, she was also uh, finished her master's at ASU, working with nonprofit management and refugee flourishing here in Phoenix. And so she leads Phoenix Refugee Connections. Uh, it's a 13-year-old network of Christians across the valley loving their refugee neighbors. And so I've known about Phoenix Refugee Connections for quite a while. Love Mary and love her family. Love what she's trying to do. Have And I just thought she needs to be on my show. I just can't wait to hear more of the heart of this organization. And really, and it's funny. This is we're, we're in Christmas season, mm-hmm. and there's actually some deep connections between the Christmas story and refugees. True. And I think we could probably just talk about that. So, what better way to, to as we move this close to Christmas to to talk with Mary here? So, thank you, Mary, for being on the show. Thank you. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. I she, I, I I hope she's not nervous. This is her first time on the radio, and so she's. Good. I think she's clenching her fist. No, there's. And she has a teddy bear that she's her stress bear. <laughs> My snuggle friend. Your snuggle friend. <laughs> I borrowed it from my toddler. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, oh, you're, and you're married with how many children? Uh, we have three daughters um, and a foster son as and well. Three. At home. Okay, so four, four wonderful children. So, um, no, but anyway. So before we kind of get into we, you know, the whole show, but and so counterculture is about. Bridge building and connection, but we'd like to connect with you first. Like, who who is this person in my studio, and what is she about? And so we start with this game called Fake News, and we in Fake News we try to guess like something that's true about yourself and something that's not true, and I try in all my wisdom to figure out which one is which. And I, and so and just so you know, I am brilliant, and I and I'm never wrong. Right, right, right. And if you believe me, you're that you believe fake lie. news. <laughs> so, so go for it. Uh, number one, I was born with 11 toes. Born with 11 toes? Okay. 10 now, though. Okay. Um, number two, I am a grandma. 
And number three, I was um, a child model for Lisa Frank. Oh, okay. Now, so so the great thing about being in studio is that you can look people in the eye and see if they're lying. But Mary actually didn't look me in the eye in any three of those. <laughs> so some, so there's some mi- mis- uh, some mystery behind what she said, and so. So I think all three of them are plausible. Right. There's nothing so outrageous that's like no way. And um, so I'm going to say that the eleven toes is just so outrageous that it's got like it's got to be true. Or maybe your husband has eleven toes. But I'm going to say the eleven toe is true. The and the so the fake news is ch- Mary Frank child model. I'm wrong? Wrong. You were a child model for uh, Right. Yeah. Okay. And so tell me about that. Uh that was my first income earning job and nice. it was really cool for a fifth grader. Um that's about it. She's from Tucson, I'm from Tucson. That that's the story. And do were you in the show? You in the big time? Uh it was well, there's no show. Do you know Lisa Frank? You have daughters. You must know Lisa Frank. Oh gosh! Oh my gosh! I know Paul Frank. I know Lisa Frank. <gasps> well, I guess you right. You might have missed it genera- generationally, but Lisa Frank. She's is saying big. I'm old. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> She's big into. She makes stickers Ouch. and tattoos and notebooks. And so, if you were a girl in the '80s, um, it was a big deal. Yeah. Okay. So no, I don't have those. You weren't a girl in the yeah, '80s. I, I was don't. not, as far as you know. <laughs> That's your one line. That's my one line. <laughs> no, I was not a girl. <laughs> you could tweet that. <laughs> no, okay. Well, that isn't interesting. So you, you're born eleven toes. That's an interesting. No, that's the lie. The lie. I have I, I have ten toes. I was have, born with ten. You're ten toes. Sorry, Jonathan. <sighs> that would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, that anyways. So that is an interesting story. That's that's exactly why I do this. Good. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, I mean, everyone has an opinion about refugees. Mm. It's, a, you know, it's, it's a topic. It's also highly politicized. And so I want to just kind of cut through all like the politicization of it and whatever that kind of – and just try to look at some just some basic things. Mm. Like a basic definition of what is a refugee. I think that's a great way to start the conversation just so we kind of come at like a great definition and then maybe how maybe the Bible views a refugee. Let's, let's go for it. So the, the internationally recognized sort of legal definition of a refugee is someone who um, has fled their home country due to a well-founded fear of one of five things about them, their race, their religion, their nationality, their political opinion, or their membership in a particular social group. So they fled their home country, they're outside their country, and they cannot safely return. So when we talk about refugees, it is always people who, are, who have fled um, human violence based on who they are. And so that's because some people mix the like immigration with refugees, right? And so if this is different. Refugees specifically, they're seeking a refuge from some uh, one of these five dangerous categories, right? Right, right. Okay. So I mean, I like I like to think of immig- immigrant as kind of the large umbrella term. So an immigrant is someone who moves to another place. Okay. People do that for a variety of reasons. So refugees are people who move to another place by force because they had to so that they wouldn't be killed. 
Okay. And that's really important because it's we can't that's a whole different category of like oh they're just looking for a better life or something something. That's very, that's that can be honorable and we can work in that circumstance. But this is particularly Phoenix Refuge about these particular people who are in these dangerous situations they cannot return. Right. Okay. Good. So why is this important to you personally? Like this isn't just a concept that sounds good but really in your life were you a refugee? <laughs> Uh, thankfully, no. Okay. I have not been. Hopefully, will not be. Um, when I was in college at the University of Arizona, um, my mom began tutoring a young man from South Sudan in English, one of the lost boys. Um, and he just became kind of like a brother, uh, part of our family. And we spent time together. And um, I spent a lot of time with his South Sudanese community those couple of years. Yeah. When I moved to Phoenix, I wanted to plug in with refugees. And all I knew was... Lost Boys. So I Googled that and found the Lost Boys Center in downtown Phoenix and volunteered there for a couple of years. And then I really felt called to be engaging my local church more. Okay. So I stepped back from that in uh, like 2009 and mm. decided to lead some efforts at my local church to co-sponsor um, a couple refugee families through Lutheran mm. Social Services. And um, yeah, so those experiences really formed um, – a lot of what I'm doing now with regard to mobilizing the body of Christ to welcome and embrace um, our foreign-born neighbors. So specifically, like when you say those experiences, like what, what did, like meeting a lot, like one of the Lost Boys, was there a conversation that stood out to you or maybe some the experience that they shared with you that maybe it's like I had not been thinking accurately about this? Um, or just, I had not been thinking about it at all yeah. until I met um, him in Tucson. I didn't grow up learning about refugees. Unfortunately, I didn't um, really have that on on my radar. Much of the rest of the world on my radar until I started kind of traveling. I worked for an international relief and development organization. Got to travel a lot and just see um, kind of the the freedoms and the privileges that I was born into by no merit or effort Mm -hmm. of my own and how the vast majority of the world doesn't have that. Um, And also how our our nation has a beautiful tradition of welcoming the most vulnerable people, a small, small percentage of the most vulnerable people um, to come here. And that's something that I want to be part of. Absolutely. And I also had spent – had a trip to South Sudan Mm. and I got to – some of the villages where a lot of some of these lost boys actually came from, I had to visit, and it was so interesting for me to see the background to, to the stories, and it just it, it o- totally opened my eyes and yeah. heart. What what's about their own journeys? If that's where they've come from and what they wanted, and they they still love their country. It's mm-hmm. not they need to, and, and they would would have desired to go back, but given the circumstances, it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, those are like your trips. I'm sure were so eye opening for you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's for you personally, but your heart is also to see the church and Christians also really engage in the refugee cause. And so tell me about that. Yeah, I think um, when you start looking for um, what God uh, what God's heart is toward the foreigner, uh, mm-hmm. you start looking that up in the scriptures, you, you can see it all throughout the scriptures. So we have a, a rich heritage of Um, people on the move in our sort of spiritual ancestry as believers. Um, Adam and Eve were 
were forcibly displaced from the garden by God mm-hmm. in response to their sin. Okay, that's mm-hmm. at uh, John at the very end writes the Re- Book of Revelation from the island of Patmos as an exile. Mm-hmm. In between, we have the Israelites who were displaced on multiple occasions, yes. and God used that in different ways. Um, we have Jesus and his family who were forcibly displaced um, because the king was coming after them. And so they had to be on the move. Moses, what could be kind of qua, qua, uh, called a unaccompanied refugee minor by today's um, legal definition, right? In a lot of ways, he did he did kill a guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I'm and talking baby Moses. Baby Moses, okay, baby Moses, right? So but, so we um, migration, forced migration, is something that the Lord has allowed to happen by His own providence and mysterious. Mm-hmm. knowledge that's h- much higher than our own. And um, he has called us to be involved in that in different ways, sometimes to be forcibly displaced. We mm-hmm. have church, capital C, church, body of Christ, brothers and sisters around the world who are coming here as refugees by the hundreds. We also have people who have never had the opportunity to hear the truth about Jesus, mm-hmm. suddenly finding themselves in a place where we can openly speak about Jesus in word and deed. Um, without any major imp- repercussions. That's a great point because I, uh, someone once said that it, wherever, if you ever see God moving a whole bunch of people around in the world, mm. they pay attention. Mm. Like that's a good opportunity for God to intervene and God's people to step in to love and, and, and bring the word of God and the truth and love to in, in those situations. Mm. Yeah, and we see that in both ways, right? So we see people from... Um, places where the gospel has not been widely preached coming to the U.S. and and being open to learning about Jesus. Mm-hmm. We also see people from Karin State in Burma, for example, or pastors of underground churches in Iran who are here now and are sort of bringing their faith that's been tested by fire mm-hmm. and re- reigniting a very an increasingly secularized American society. Mm-hmm. And they're also uniquely— That's a great point, too. Mm-hmm. And I think they're uniquely positioned to also reach other foreigners who are here in our cities in ways that we can't. So I see African um, diaspora church leaders here in Phoenix reaching out to African Muslims. We see Nepalese and Bhutanese believers reaching out to Hindu mm-hmm. Muslims, um, Karin and and other believers from Burma reaching out to to Buddhist Muslim or to did I say hin- Hindu Muslims? You might have, but I meant reaching, <laughs> reaching out to to our Hindu neighbors, and and then uh, other folks from Asia reaching out to our Buddhist neighbors, in, just in ways that we would not be able to culturally or linguistically. So they, they understand the culture so much better. Mm-hmm. And I I think giving a voice to so many of these pastors and people who've really suffered is mm-hmm. really important because they have incredible stories of God's faithfulness, which is actually a lot very close to the. The, the stories that were lived out by biblical characters mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so their faith and what they've what they've learned and I, I think giving voice and, and honor to that mm-hmm. rather than just viewing them as through our own just American eyes and American Christianity eyes like no this is God's prophet or mm-hmm. or person he's who's who's he's saved and had as a story and brought them to this country for a reason mm-hmm. And and perhaps we we're the ones who need to hear from them. Totally, <laughs> so totally, yeah. not us just rescue him. You right, know, for sure. Yes. No, those are that's a great point. Um, 
And so I, I think so. It's a, it's a it's a way a church can engage with an opportunity. We want the church to engage, but also the, to hear from and interact with refugees. And so, what mm-hmm. ways have you seen the church benefit from that here? Um, I mean, from my own personal experience, I've I've received a lot of encouragement from from my Karin refugee friends um, and my Congolese refugee daughter who, you know, know what it means to to trust in God with with your whole heart mm-hmm. when you have nothing else kind of to trust in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's been a powerful for me personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think when I've seen churches really engage um, uh, refugees populations, I think it's also very eye opening about both a sense of gratitude, but also a sense of mission. Mm-hmm. Like, what, you mean you've never heard the story of Moses? Or you never heard this particular, there's so much that we take for granted that, that, we're, that it's just so eye-opening to our, both into our faith and to our life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel, as someone also who's worked with churches and, and refugees, and just feel like it's just a super important part of our story that we need, to, that, that God's bringing them to help shape our story and how we minister and better and understand God's truth better about how God's working in the world. And to learn more about who he is too, mm-hmm. I think, because the the water that you swim in and the, and the culture and the world that you grow up in largely shapes how you read the scriptures and how you experience God and how you see God. And the only way that you can examine that and reflect on it and see something different, I think, is by being with people who grew up in a different environment mm. and culture. And and listening to them and, and kind of trying trying to see God through their eyes and learning more about different aspects of him through them. That's another extremely important point because we think it's just if I just if I'm intellect if I read the Bible all the time mm. and or I've gone to seminary with and, and and or my pastor has all this knowledge, we assume that's just the that's the okay. that's the whole package, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But you're saying someone who comes out from a different experience and story also has like a different eyes to see. Yeah, we. I mean, I think we have friends and people who have um, ancestors who who were enslaved, right? And so mm-hmm. they a lot of times ha- see God as a liberator and a deliverer, mm-hmm. and that is not something that I have connected with much in sure. my own life. Um, but it's very true, and, and that's who God is. He is a right. liberator and a deliverer, and so they can help me see those aspects of Him that that I wouldn't pick up as, uh, otherwise very easily. That's a, you know, the Gospels are are actually four different authors writing about Jesus, but they all have a different perspective. Mm. But they're all true. What, um, you know, John and Luke might have a different take on this particular. It's yet they all they all converge and have the same story, but they're looking at it from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think when we hear a different take, like in the Gospel of John, that's different than Luke. That's there's there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And I think when someone, when a believer or a pastor from another culture or their their view on God, um, which oftentimes might, they might come from a culture much closer to the the True. way the culture that Jesus lived in, mm-hmm. and so maybe they like they worked with sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never work with sheep, yeah. you know. You know, I wear I might wear wool once a year or something, but but you know, they just have a different knowledge of mm-hmm. of, of scripture and that's refreshing and that helps open my eyes that mm-hmm. I would not have had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So great observation. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. We have here Mary Keck with the Phoenix Refugee Connections. Great conversation about the heart of God towards refugees. And now we just kind of want to just take a little more practical, just like the current day, the, the, what is, how is the U.S. refugee resettlement program different from other nations' programs? Yeah, so our culture really, our, our, our nation really has a beautiful tradition of welcoming some of the most vulnerable people. You can see that looking at the inscription on the Statue of Liberty, right? Right. You're tired, you're poor, you're huddled masses yearning to be free. Right. Um, so this program was established officially in 1980 by the federal government, but they really came up behind the faith communities. So prior to the government catching on, sort of, the faith communities had organized and mobilized themselves to welcome refugees, um, mostly people from Southeast Asia following um, the Vietnam War. Okay. Um, It's a humanitarian program. So a lot of other countries' programs will kind of take refugees who can prove that they can make lots of money or they'll – uh, or they're more highly educated or things like that. So our program is not that way. Our program is designed to take the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable people. So we receive a lot of um, widows and orphans, mm. um, wow. a lot of people who are disabled in different ways or have not um, had the opportunity to go to school. At the same time, everything about our our nation's refugee resettlement program is geared toward economic self-sufficiency. People have to be economically self-sufficient as soon as possible. Mm. So that, as you can imagine, causes a lot of problems, putting those things together. Right, right. Um, but if you look at economic studies of refugees, you will see that they are um, they're doing it. They're, they're more economically um, – uh, what's the word? They move up. They move yeah, up. Yeah, upward mobility. Yes, they're more <laughs> upwardly mobile than um, native-born Americans and and immigrants from other backgrounds. They also are more entrepreneurial than native-born Americans and other kinds of immigrants. Um, but it, but it's a challenge for sure, and that's one place that the church can really be useful. So we see unemployment really low among our refugee neighbors, mm-hmm. but I would say underemployment is very high. Okay. So people have to take the first job that they're offered, no matter what kind of job they came okay. out of. And often that is on the bottom rung, working in a factory or a hotel. And a lot of times we, pe- we see people get stuck stuck there. So that's where the church can help is um, by by employing refugees in jobs where they can, can move up. Um, I think also we see the importance of refugees will be more economically upwardly mobile if they are embraced by the local community, kind of integrated in the community and welcomed in the schools and um, Mm. different parts of life. Another difference with our program versus other countries is the the vetting process. So our vetting process is extremely rigorous. Um, It's by far the most difficult way to gain legal entry into the U.S. is through the refugee refugee. program. So it's much easier to come in on a business visa or a tourist or uh, student visa than it is to get a refugee visa. It Um, could take up to two years, right? Usually longer than that, yeah. So minimum 18 months and usually kind of like three years or longer at this point for sure. Um, And Nothing is perfect, of course, but if you look at the history of our resettlement program over, over the last 41 years or so, um, we've resettled like about three and a half million refugees um, nationally. And out of all of them, zero 
has um, killed anyone in an act of terrorism here on U.S. soil. Okay. So it's not foolproof, obviously, but if you're, if you're wanting to come to the U.S. Um, to commit a terrorist act, the refugee program is definitely the wrong the way wor- to come. Yeah, the, it's, yeah, and there's no evidence or any, any examples of that. So – and even – I mean even if a bad person came in a middle of, of, of 10,000 people or however many people came in, the door, should I write off 10,000 people? And that doesn't negate my biblical and moral mandate because of one bad experience. And, that we're, and, yet we, and we don't even have that in terms mm. of what you decided. So right. I, don't, I think um, some of the arguments against refugees are just are a bit maddening. But this is encouraging. So as we wrap up our time in the last couple of minutes, I just want to give people an opportunity. How can they get involved? We knew, we've heard a lot in the news about Afghans coming. What, and you're connected with so many different refugee groups. How can people get involved? Yeah, so um, there are a few um, organizations highlighted on our website. If you go to uh, phxrc.org, you'll see on the homepage some specific ways to help the Afghans who are coming in at the moment. So Arizona is one of the main states receiving uh, people – Afghans evacuated during over the summer. Okay. That baby that you saw lifted over the barbed wire, okay. her name is Leah, and she and her family were resettled to Phoenix. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, along with hundreds of other um, Afghans. We're receiving about 60 people f- per week through this program. Okay. So you could go to phxrc.org to see some of those organizations. For example, um, you could donate furniture, household items, hygiene and cleaning supplies to uh, gathering Humanity or to the Welcome to America Project. There's a wonderful organization called PCs for Refugees that's um, collecting laptops and computers. Um, Matthew House could use help sometimes serving meals to Afghans in hotels. So they can just go to your website and find that information. So right. fantastic, Mary. Well, I've loved having you on the show. I really appreciate you, your heart. You're my go-to person <laughs> when I want to connect with anyone within refugees. Just your fan. I really appreciate you, your ministry. God bless you and Thank the work you. that you're doing. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org. This program was sponsored by Care Portal. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.